It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Wild, wild card weekend. Nora Princiati and I talk about all the Sunday games. The Cleveland Browns upset the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson get their win over the Tennessee Titans. And the New Orleans Saints go on Nickelodeon and beat Mitchell Trubisky. This was recorded live on video form, and it was on all the social media platforms, and it's also in podcast form. Here it is. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nor Princiati, that was different. First Browns win in the playoffs since 1995, and I don't know what just happened. Well, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I gotta say, I predicted a Browns win. I did not predict that it would happen this way, Kevin. So, okay. Uh, so, so let's back up here. When you predicted the Browns win, and then you saw everything that happened this week, maybe one of the craziest weeks that any team has ever faced in the playoffs ever. This is the first time that a team has had to go without their head coach. There's certainly been injuries in the first week of the playoffs, but it hasn't been like this. Joel Batonio, by the way, uh, their longest tenured player who got their game ball on Sunday was also ruled out. I mean, the, the obstacles they had, they did not practice until Friday, and that was sort of bare bones. There were guys that Alex Van Pelt, the new play caller who was promoted, hadn't even met who were, who were starting on the offensive line, playing on the offensive line. Uh, Dunn, one of their guys who was playing tonight, was doing drills with his girlfriend in the parking lot of his apartment building. Like this was this was different. So when you were predicting the Browns to win, how did that come about? And what did you see from them tonight that impressed you? I will tell you exactly how it went down. And it kind of makes a lot of sense now that now okay. that we've seen this game in an odd way. I felt like they had real upset potential. They have a clear identity and a lot of talent sure. going into the game. This was before all the COVID stuff came down. And I felt like, frankly, we'd watched a lot of Steelers football late in the season where they looked like they were playing a game they could not precisely identify uh, right. the basic mechanics of. So I was looking at it and going, you know what? I, I know the Browns just barely beat this team when they were resting a lot of their starters, but yeah. That's one game. Week 17 can be weird in a lot of ways. I think this game has real upset potential. And then get the news about Stefanski and all the other COVID limitations they were going to have. And I thought to myself, okay, I got to And I was so mad because I was going so chalky with so many predictions. And I was like, okay, this is a good upset. I think this is this could really happen. I'm like, ugh, I can't justify sticking with this. Right. And then I keep thinking about it and I go, okay. If my logic here is that we've watched this Steelers team literally forget how to play football yeah. for a lot of December, then yes. I'm not sure that Kevin Stefanski and Joel Batonio is as great and significant as their contributions normally are. I'm not sure that changes the equation. 
So I kind of stuck with it just because I felt like it was interesting, but it was based in the fact that if that was why I didn't feel like the Steelers could win this game, then that should hold up. And let me tell you, the first few drives of this game made me feel not necessarily good about that because it's not fun to watch a unit sort of dissolve and fall apart before your eyes, but it did make me feel like it was logically sound. So the Steelers had every advantage in the world coming into this game, and they played so poorly that none of them mattered. Literally none of them mattered. If you were to take someone who had no prior knowledge of anything that happened in the past week, and you said, one team doesn't have its coach, one team has barely practiced all week, I, 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 they would have a pretty clear guess on who it was, and it wasn't the Cleveland Browns out there. Um, this was an unbelievable series of mistakes. Um, there were, listen, I, I, I want to give full credit to the Browns. Their offensive line was amazing. And this was, this was a roster win for them. And we'll get to that in a second. But the series of mistakes that the Steelers made was almost mind boggling. And all credit to the Browns for just hanging out while they did that. Um, I mean, they're, you know, the old line that never interrupt your enemy while he's making a mistake, which is one of those things that's been attributed to every good general, but I don't think any of them actually said that, just kind of a thing. Um, that's what they did. They waited and then they they saw Roethlisberger uh, <laughs> and, and Pouncey had that 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 strange snap that went into the, the end zone. Uh, the, the three interceptions early. Um, you know, I was looking at the, the box score and looking at the win probability and seeing which plays had the biggest impact on the game. In the first half, four out of the five plays that made the biggest impact were just Steelers turnovers. So all credit to the Browns, but this was about the Steelers just saying, hey, we don't actually value the football. We have no idea what's going on. Uh, this was just a, a complete and total collapse by Ben Roethlisberger and that Steelers offense. Well, yeah. And so I know everybody watching basically just watched this game, but I think it's worth kind of going through. So the Browns score a defensive touchdown on the first play of this game. Yep. Uh, Pouncey sends the bad snap over Ben Roethlisberger's head. Ben Roethlisberger is like nine feet tall. So that's pretty impressive in its own right. Yep. Uh, and then Carl and, and Joseph. Then he, he, by the way, decided that all of his receivers were nine feet tall and he would just sail the pass over their heads. So everybody's height orientation, which is completely off today. It was the high, high that snaps, really is what high went throws, wrong. the whole deal. Yes. <laughs> just Continue. a little miscalculation there. Yeah. Understandable. But so Carl Joseph recovers it in the end zone. That's the first Browns touchdown. Yeah. Then on the next drive, MJ Stewart intercepts Roethlisberger. Browns take over. They score a 40-yard touchdown on a pass to Landry. Then the Steelers go three and out. The Browns score a touchdown. Um, it's Hunt. Uh, the Steelers gained one yard on their next drive before Roethlisberger got picked again. And then the Browns got the ball and, and scored again. That's how they go up 28 nothing. Mm -hmm. By the way, at that point, they were not like a lot of people were talking before this game about, okay, well, they have their first 15 that Stefanski can contribute to, and that can be sort of his impact on the game. And he can try to get Baker in a rhythm and talk to those guys before he has to go down in his basement and shut his phone off and, and be totally isolated for this game. Uh, they were not out of the first 15. They were up 28 to nothing. This is absurd. This is just an absurd situation. And then the Steelers were able to come back because the Browns were just playing like, weird prevent defense, which I, I hate, but it happens and every team does it and whatever. Like, I'm not going to complain about clock management when <laughs> you're down half your coaching staff and everything's a disaster. And yeah, we don't overall do, the to, Browns did a great job, here. but yeah, 
Right. We don't. We, right. This is not the pod where we're, we're gonna we're gonna pick nits. Um, I think that there were things that the Browns did really well, and I want to focus on those for a second. First half, according to Next Gen Stats, Baker Mayfield was not pressured on his 15 dropbacks. The narrative about Baker is that he can't play under pressure. That narrative has sort of been reversed in the second half of the season. He's gone from abysmal in the beginning of the season to okay under pressure as, as the season's gone along. Uh, but not being pressured at all, we know what Baker Mayfield can do uh, in in those situations, and so the well, Steelers and- generated that. Go ahead. They were still, they were blitzing the crap out of it. Yeah. But it just, yeah. they, they had a quick passing game that was really effective. Yep. And he, yep. I would go for, I think he's been really good in the later half of the season when he's not pressured, but also, you know, it's, it's not just the clean pocket stuff. He's been a really, really good quarterback. Absolutely. It's not that he's uh, gone from flawed to okay. Absolutely. And in the, uh, in the first half, 2.4 seconds to throw the season low for him. And this is a Steelers team that I mean, you know, has someone like TJ Watt, who Mike Tomlin said a couple weeks ago was visiting from another planet. They have the highest pressure rate in football for the entire season. Uh, this is a team where if you're if you were to draw this up, you would see that th- this going significantly different. Um, I think that Bill Callahan, we, we've talked about him so much on this show. I think you gave him a assistant coach of the year uh, uh, half season award at one point. Uh, he needs to That's get right. back in the in the in, in the spotlight because he was one of the reasons that the Browns were able to play bully ball today. And so I just think that there's, there were so many things that the Browns did well. Um, and I don't want that to be necessarily overlooked. Um, the fact that they, their 28 points were the most of any team in the first quarter of a playoff game since the merger, that has a little bit more to do with the Steelers. Um, but when you look at their line, you look at their defense. I mean, just the fact I, I loved, loved that nugget from Collinsworth where he said that Stefanski told them, that Roethlisberger gets the ball out so quickly, you're going to have to tip these passes. And they did that, and that turned out to be, I think it was the third interception at one point. That's just good coaching. And and that's one of the things that's funny to me because I've heard from coaches over the past seven, eight years, whether that's tempo, whether that's just getting the ball out quickly, that there's essentially one and a half seconds where everything happens in a play. And I think that if you know that Roethlisberger is going to get that ball out, well, you should game plan for that. And I think that's just smart coaching. And and I was hugely impressed by that. Um, anything else on, on the Brown side? Obviously, the run game was working. Anything else in the Brown side that really impressed you, Nora? Well, what do you think about them going forward? Did this make you reevaluate the ceiling on them at all? I mean, next week? No, unfortunately. I mean, I, it's it's the Chiefs, and I, I don't. That yeah, has I hate to be a bummer. Them. I'm mean, listen, listen, I'm a moron. I thought that they had no chance to, uh, today just because of the competitive disadvantage and, and, and just the fact that they didn't have uh, whether or not that was, you know, four coaches, four offensive coaches during the week. The fact they didn't practice, by the way, practice is I, I thought practice was useful until today. Do we do we need to stop practicing? Bucky Brooks and Ryan Clark were talking about this on Twitter earlier today. They were saying maybe there's a case to be made about having being rested and healthy and all this stuff and that maybe teams do practice a little bit too much. I think that's totally valid. Now, I think when you look at some of the performances from teams this year where they've skipped practices because of COVID tracing and and contact tracing, that is a really small sample size. I don't draw a whole ton from that. But late in the year, these guys' bodies hurt. So I I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, Alvin Kamara was fine today too, right? I, I don't think, especially for veteran players, that skipping a Wednesday and a Thursday is as big of a deal as it sometimes gets made out to be. All right. So let's talk about the Steelers here for a second. So Mark Cavalier covers the team, does a great job, had a, a tweet that I think, I think sums this whole thing up, which is this would be hard to explain if we haven't seen this many times before. 
And I think that's a good way of putting it because we've seen the Steelers lay a lot of eggs. And I was amazed to realize, I was like Bruce Willis in the Sixth Sense, just kind of going back in my head. I was amazed to realize, spoiler alert for a 20-year-old movie, um, I was I was amazed to realize that that Jaguars game was the last time they'd played in the playoffs. And that was obviously among their biggest eggs that they laid. And I guess I look at this and if we're going to question the concept of football practice and all that and having a head coach on the sidelines and all that stuff, we have to question everything but the Steelers organization right now um, after that game, because that that just changed my opinion on a lot of things. Uh, big picture takeaways on the Steelers. You start where? Well, you start with Ben, right? Yes, Who doesn't do. look like he has a lot of great quarterbacking left in him. And the likelihood oh, I, is that he will still only go ahead. Oh, only only cost forty one point five million dollars next year, so we're all set. Yeah, uh, so he will probably be on the Steelers next year. That Jesus. that unless he decides that he's done. But I think uh, Adam Schefter reported a while back that he would like to see the contract through. So that's not great. Um, the thing that I go back to is that when the Steelers got to eleven and zero and everything was going right for them. It wasn't because of Ben. It wasn't as though he was having a great year and then he trailed off and maybe you think, okay, get him some more rest days, whatever. Like they were winning in spite of him or at least because they had designed a system that didn't require him to go downfield, that didn't require really anything besides just short, quick passing. And that's a tough place to be when that is your upper limit. So I don't know what exactly they can do other than try to bring a young guy in there to be ready. But this is a team that's been so relevant for so long and it's a great franchise, but they are headed for a lot of change because Ben is not the only, they have a lot of free agents and they do. that and thing's going to change. $25 million over the cap at this point. Yeah. Uh, a lot of red flags. <laughs> other though, than that, Mrs. Say. Lincoln. Other than that, it's fine. You know, they do have some good pieces and you know, listen, it's very strange to me that, Mason Rudolph almost beat this this Browns team in a must-win game last week. And I think that there's probably talent there. And obviously, Mason Rudolph is not the answer, and he probably shouldn't be on the team next year. Um, but I think that there's – we've seen – This is just sports. not where I thought you were going to go. What? <laughs> Mason Rudolph. No, no. I was saying that I think that last week was evidence of the fact that there are pieces there where, okay, obviously right. their their front seven this year was really, really good. And I think you just kind of need some stability at the quarterback position. And I think that for so long, this organization viewed Ben Roethlisberger as the, the stabilizing force, um, even if he wasn't, you know, a classic leader or whatever. They, they, the organization, the coaching staff in the front office loved Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, that's, that is when I was visiting their training camp or during the season or whatever, they used to just say, you know, I remember asking about the, you know, if I asked about the offense, they go, well, Ben Roethlisberger makes it all go. Um, they, they just really liked having him around. And I don't think if, if if the argument is stability, then I don't think you can go back to Ben Roethlisberger. I think that he, right now, his mistake-prone play and the fact that over the last what six, seven weeks of the season, he had no idea what to do with the football. Um, I don't think you can you can build a franchise around that. And this is a team that should be in competition all year, uh, every year rather. And I think that there's just I think you have to assess the quarterback position starting tomorrow. Quite frankly, the last the last pick, the one to Taki Taki, was just someone who doesn't no I mean he threw it right to him. I have no idea what the intention on that play was. 
I haven't. Th- there were probably 15 throws this year where I, I I had no idea what he was doing, what he was planning, what the thought process was behind it. And part of that, you know, we've talked about his press conferences and all that stuff. In fact, he just keeps saying he's not very good. Well, at some point, I think we have to believe Ben, Ro- ben Roethlisberger. And he can do this. I'm an old cowboy routine or whatever. But it's like, dude, the guy just he, he throws a bunch of crappy passes. And then he gets up to a podium after every game and is like, man, I suck. And at some point, we, we need to stop looking beyond that and just realize that this might be what this is. I'm so glad people get to watch this live because they are going to get to see what happens every week, but it's just not live or on video. So it's not visible, which is just you say things like I'm an old cowboy routine. And I have very, I have a lot of trouble, like yeah. not cracking up, but that was good. I liked that one. I, he does do like the, I'm a cowboy. So does Bruce Arians. I was, I was looking for something earlier today and I saw that like in 2014, Arians is doing the, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm a cowboy and ride out into the sunset thing, which is what Roethlisberger does. They're friends and okay, they just sit, probably okay. sit around being old cowboys together. I just wasn't sure what you meant by old cowboy, but the, I'm going to ride off now and get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Context for the old cowboy line. All right. Anything else in this it. game? Well, should we talk about punts? Because speaking of, I guess if we're saying that this is close to the end of Ben Roethlisberger, Mm -hmm. I just want to once more for old time's sake, say I do not understand why they don't run sneaks with him. He's 100 feet tall. Or just Just do anything other than punt. Just do anything other than punt. I never punt. I did a story a couple of years ago. I've said this before, but it it bears repeating on a day like today because we're also going to talk about Vrabel's unfortunate punt later and i was talking to some analytics guys and i was like what are we going to look back on as the bunt of 20 of of 2018 2019 like why are we giving this stuff up and it was the answer was it was it was giving up possession for no reason right and and this is the example and i think that in 10 years when hopefully everything has changed we realize how just careless and stupid is to punt on fourth and one or fourth and two when it's not you know you're not backed up against your own goal line we're going to look back at these sort of decisions and go, I can't believe this. And by, by the way, even in the context of 2020 and 2021, we couldn't believe this because the Vrabel punt was literally unprecedented. Like this is just, these are bad punts and teams should stop doing it. I don't understand why. I don't understand why ownership and GMs aren't like, Hey guys, we're going to have, we're going to have a timeout and and punt guy in the booth and we have to listen to him. What we're talking about, by the way, is that Tomlin punted down 12 with a fourth and one, um, at their own 46 in the fourth quarter, but we can talk about it tomorrow when we get to Vrabel because yes, that was not the worst punt of the day. It was definitely not the worst punt of the day. All right. So let's move on to the second game. The playoffs are my favorite time of year. I can't wait to bet all the action this weekend on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never tried FanDuel before, the playoffs are the perfect time to give it a shot because right now new users get a exclusive 25 to one odds boost on any team to win during the divisional round this weekend. That's right, 25 to 1 odds, any team, any playoff game this weekend. We talked about this on the show tonight, but I do like the Kansas City Chiefs big over the Cleveland Browns. I love the Browns as a story. I just think the Chiefs are going to be too good. So don't miss out on this exclusive offer. I've been betting football on FanDuel all season long. I like FanDuel because it's easy to register, easy to deposit, easy to find your bet. When you win, FanDuel pays your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and use promo code RINGERNFL so they know I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code RINGERNFL. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. 20-13 to 13 Baltimore Ravens over the Tennessee Titans. Lamar Jackson gets his first playoff win. 17-24, 179 yards, one interception. 15 carries for 136 yards. Uh, the big stat line was Derrick Henry. 18 carries, 40 yards, totally bottled up. Lamar Jackson is now one and two in the playoffs. I thought it was a little weird how how much it was talked about. So obviously, no one is a bigger Lamar Jackson fan than me outside of you know the Ravens locker room. I thought I thought the marketing around the the this is his first playoff win and making a big deal throughout the television. Thing. It wasn't like he was Marvin Lewis here. He lost two games. Like we're he's going to be fine. He's going to win a lot of playoff games. It wasn't like he got some. Yeah, you know, some huge weight off him. Um, but anyway, uh, a lot to talk about with Lamar no, here. But what did you- he's twenty four? He's like yeah, not I know, old I know. enough to have like a, a history of a specific issue with anything. I know it was that, that's why I thought it was so weird. Like Lamar Jackson gets that playoff win. He lost two games. We're gonna right, be no, fine. He's guys. literally now. He is now one and two. Yeah. Like how okay. long? I was and thinking one about of those this. seasons. When did one of those seasons he he taken over in mid season for Joe Flacco? Like, come on. Yikes! Been a full starter. When did playoff Andy Reid? become a thing how long did it take before people well, were like you can't I'm manage at, the clock that's a great question so i think that there were hints in in the regular season obviously but then once he starts getting to the nfc championship game and not getting to the super bowl that's when it starts i would say the tampa bay the tampa bay one and then the big one would be carolina because everyone thought the eagles should have won that game and then obviously they made it the next year so everything was fine but, and they lost but that so game he, too. He, just, just some questionable clock management he came by that Honestly, in a way that I don't think Lamar oh, he did. That. But even th- but Andy Reid earned, think about earned that. the clock management think about, questions. Think about that. Andy Reid, at however old and after however many games, can get his playoff monkey off his back or whatever. And like everybody's out here with Lamar. It's just very silly. We don't need to dwell on it, but it was just okay. very silly. So <laughs> we can dwell on it, but there's a lot to get to with the Ravens. Yeah. Um, I I think that the story of the game for me was their ability to 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 bottle Derrick Henry. And a lot of that is the fact that Clay's Campbell and Brandon Williams didn't play that first game. Uh, we saw the depth that they had with, you know, Derek Wolf with Pernell McPhee. I mean, there's a reason I picked this team to win the Super Bowl. When I looked at it on paper at the end of the season, I said, okay, this is, this is talent. Like 153, this might be the best talent in the league. We're starting to see that a little bit. A lot of that's been interrupted, whether that's the COVID, the injury or whatever. Um, but I, I, when I saw today's, this game play out, uh, it made me think a little bit uh, that, that maybe this could be a dangerous team. I, I'm really interested to see next week against Buffalo. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the stat for me is that Derrick Henry against loaded boxes on Sunday uh, had a 1.8 yard per carry. Okay, Last year in the same game, the one that, that made everybody question everything about the Ravens, he had 6.5 yards per carry running into loaded boxes. And so when the Ravens were around him, they got him down to the ground. And, and that was so important. And I think that one thing about the tackling in this game and the physicality in this game is that when I was around the Ravens the week before they played this game last year, and their identity was they were the bullies, and they liked it, and they liked beating people up. And then they themselves got bullied against Tennessee, and they got out-hit and out-toughed and all those things that we don't talk enough about. But in locker rooms, those guys just talk about it all the time. And I think that there was a a toll it took all off season where 
these guys had their identity ripped away from them by Tennessee, by kind of a badass Tennessee team who not only tackle guys, but on offense break tackles and hit, hit it hard as hell on both sides of the ball. And I think that a lot of the emotion of Sunday was them getting that back because they were the bullies again. And I think they had thought a lot over these past 12 months about that and about identity and all that stuff with Tennessee. So I think that that's part of the reason this felt a little more emotional just from having talked to, to a handful of, of Ravens and Titans people. That was even though they got down 10-0 early in this game, which was another thing that was partially a narrative, but also partially something that says something about what they like to do on offense, especially, which gives them a little bit more trouble coming from behind normally, but they were able to do that. Some of that has to do with the Titans defense that they were playing against last year being a sort of middle of the pack, sometimes opportunistic unit. This one is just flat out bad. The thing with Henry and how the Ravens were defending, they did a great job. But what stood out to me was that the Titans just didn't adjust to it. And they kept on early downs, just running him into a wall. And I don't think Ryan Tannehill was particularly great in this game, certainly. But I don't think that he had the greatest opportunity because if you look at how they got up 10 to nothing in the first place, they were getting some favorable individual matchups. They had Brown on Humphrey a lot and were taking advantage of that. Uh, Anthony Ferkser was getting good matchups on linebackers, especially Patrick Queen. And it seemed like they were going to that and it was working and they were moving the ball. And on those drives where they were passing on early downs, they were so effective. And then I just didn't really understand how, as the game went on, they seemed so committed to, okay, first and 10, we're just going to run Derrick Henry into an eight man box when he was averaging 1.8 yards per carry on those plays. So that was a little bit, the the punt is certainly the most inexplicable decision in this game, but that one was second to me. The thing with the Ravens, and by the way, I'm, I'm psyched for us that we both got our flexes in here early with me saying that I picked the Browns and you saying that you picked the Raiders to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't think that's much of a flex. I'm, I'm going to be wrong. Probably <laughs> your flex was right. much more well, effective. All right. That's why I wanted to just throw in a call back to it. But I like you it just, for you, you just flexed. You just flexed <laughs> by comparing our flexes and just subtly suggesting your that your flex was better. Yeah. Okay. I, I see flexed what you're on doing. your flex, but I, I was see, trying to couch it. I, I was trying to couch it out. in being a co-flex. But nope, not can a I tell you can I tell you why I like can I tell you why I like your alleged flex? Sure. It's not about uh, it's not so much about uh, the Ravens run defense in this game as it is about Jackson. And I felt like his performance in this was super encouraging because the Ravens had played so well down the stretch since he came off the COVID list and and uh, that rescheduled game um, or after that rescheduled game against the Steelers. And the biggest thing that had happened was that he started being able to take advantage of man defense, which they were seeing a lot more of this year and had been struggling with earlier in the year, a lot by just taking off and scrambling more effectively and more willingly. And so that 48 yard touchdown scramble that he had to tie the game, I think was the biggest play of this game. And that to me was just exactly why they've gotten back on track and exactly why I have a lot of confidence in this offense going forward, which is just that the Titans are, are they're in solid man coverage, but Jackson sees it and he has a hole and he takes off and he's running 20 miles per hour. And Kevin Byard is just not going to, not going to be able to do it. 
And that's the Ravens when they are a catch-22, a math problem for opposing defenses because they're just not going to be able to match the athleticism. But if they try to counter it by playing zone, then all of a sudden those tight window throws, well, those windows aren't quite so tight anymore. So it gets a lot easier. So this is the Ravens offense that I think has inspired so much confidence in at the beginning of the regular season this year and then last year. And it's really cool to see them playing it. Now, that does not mean that the Titans are a juggernaut defense, certainly, and the Ravens were playing some other bad ones toward the end of the regular season. But I still think that that is something they can carry through. And I think that is more meaningful than the quality of opponent that they're facing on the defensive side is just getting back to what they're so good at. Totally agree. And Lamar was doing enough in the passing game. He was 12, 15, 412 yards on outbreaking routes, according to next gen stats. Um, I think that, you know, I, I want to go back uh, for a second to the Baltimore defense, because I think that having Marcus Peters back there and Marwan Humphrey, I, I'm really intrigued to see how, how they match up against, against Buffalo, because I think that there's going to be, I think it's going to be pretty close, quite frankly. And I think that this is going to come down to a handful of plays. And it's kind of like what you talked about with Lamar. It's going to be he gets open. And what is the the tackle discipline? What is the how how, de- how disciplined is, is is the defense? The gap discipline. I remember everybody talked about that with the, the Tennessee thing last year. Um, I, I think that this is one of the most intriguing matchups of the season um, at any point. And to see Josh Allen against that secondary um, and how long when they extend plays that the, the Baltimore defense can hang with them, then obviously the defensive line, which can be nasty in spots, um, what the run game looks like. Uh, I, I think that this has the capability to be maybe one of the best playoff games we've seen in, in a couple of years. It's really interesting because both of those offenses are very different, right? The yes. Ravens are more built around the run. The Bills are very much built around the pass. Yes. But one thing that they do have in common is that the quarterback moving is so important. Like the Bills, what what run game the Bills don't have, don't have, right. do have, doesn't really work unless they have Allen involved in it to some yes. degree. That is when their run game works is when the quarterback is also a threat to run. And schematically, it's completely different with the Ravens, but Lamar's scrambling ability, ability to keep defenses so honest with how fast he is, that's the key for them. So yep. it's just a very, very, very cool game to think about. Say it were five years ago, 10 years ago, like yeah. the influx of, of athletic quarterbacks is just not in the same place that it is now. This game wouldn't really make sense. We would have a hard time understanding it. So it is, if you go 30,000 foot view, it's a very cool thing that we're going to get to watch. It's I would still favor the 20, Bills. Me too, but only slightly. It's an aggressively 2021 game. When you think of everything that's trended towards this game happening. Uh, two more things. Uh, number one, are you for or against dancing on the logo? So I was thinking about this. I'm for it. Like I just, anytime you're getting into an argument that's based on like the sanctity of paint on grass, I don't care. And I think pettiness is fun. The only thing that I will say is that I was interrogating my own sort of belief system with this. Like, why do I like this so much? What's wrong with, you know, chivalry and sportsmanship? And by the way, those players are good sports. It's not evidence of bad sportsmanship that they wanted to have some fun. Uh, But here's the thing is that I would love it if there was a team or a player or a group of players or whatever 
that could find a way to do the other thing, do the sort of gentlemanly, ah, good game in a way that's as demonstrative as dancing on a logo, because that's why it's fun, right? Is because the absence of it, we can't make jokes about, we can't think about, we can't sort of prognosticate about and laugh about and think of as part of the story of these teams and this rivalry. But I would love a player to, to, I don't know, send out thank you notes. I guess maybe that's a little bit of the old Andrew Luck thing of like thanking defenders for a good hit. But I, I would like some performative sportsmanship, I think is what I'm saying. The sport you're describing is golf, and it's not fun to watch. That particular part. Tennis, maybe. I think you're talking a bunch of sports that are significantly less popular than football, and I think there's probably a reason for that. Okay. I'm okay with it. I think that these two teams hate each other, which I'm totally okay with. I do think I I don't know what happened. The the punt is emblematic of something. I don't know what happened to Mike Vrabel. He, he starts out the day telling Diana Rossini he'll fight anybody. He'll fight any coach if that's what it came down to or something like that. He's been doing the, the uh, you know, he, he's kind of a, a badass. And he's kind of been cutting that figure for a long time. And as a player, he certainly was. As a coach, he seemed like it. And then he just coached a little scared today. I was just a little surprised by that. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. 21 to 3. Saints over the Bears. Uh, Drew Brees, 28 to 39, 265 yards, two touchdowns. Mitchell Trubisky, uh, the Nickelodeon. MVP, the MVP, uh, 19 of 29 for 199 yards. Uh, Alvin Kamara in his return, 99 yards and uh, 17 receiving yards. Pretty much what we expected. Where do we start? The MVP is now on Mitchell Trubisky's Pro Football Reference page. It's listed along. With I saw. It's also where, where a Pro too. Bowl would be. It's hasn't fantastic. He, he has made a Pro Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Or on all that, pro. That was the that was the end of the Pro Bowl when Mitch Mitch Trubisky made it. Forgot about Orlando that. I'm an too. all pro. Yeah. Yeah. It was a tough one. What a relic. What a time. It was a, t- it, was a t- it was a it was a tough time for the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl took a step back that day. <laughs> so what did we learn? I mean, for me, I, I didn't, you know, the Saints allowed nine points and 239 yards, the best defensive performance in history. But like I I I don't mean to be like flippant here but if you're not having the best defensive performance in playoff history against the Chicago Bears and Mitch Trubisky like that's the red flag uh anything from the Saints that changed your opinion either way not really I, the Bears have one bootleg that works 
sometimes. And that's basically the offense. So I'm not. The St. Stevens is really good, but I'm with you in that there's not a lot that they could have done here to shock me or change my opinion of them. Same thing on offense, really. Breeze was pretty good, especially when he was really in his wheelhouse with short passes, passes that got out really quickly. Uh, Outbreaking routes, he was particularly effective on. All that's pretty standard for him. Under 10 air yards. I was looking at some of that under 10 air yards. Drew Breeze just keeps throwing the same pass over and over again. It's delightful to watch. Literally, it's it is the uh, Ben Roethlisberger did the JV version of what Drew Brees has done. But the thing is, with Drew Brees, it's just still working. But the under 10 air yards king of the NFL. Are you keeps rolling well, through the Drew playoffs? Brees, ben Roethlisberger throws the same pass over and over again. And then it's a terrible duck that goes to the and it's intercepted. Yeah, they're both doing the same thing over and over again. One of them is a completed pass. And one of them is just a tipped pass that goes into a, a Browns defender's hands. Speaking of doing the same thing over and over again, can we talk about CJGJ, Florida we can. man? We can't. So he gets Anthony Miller thrown out of the game. This is the second time that's happened. Matt Nagy said that the, the Bears coached not taking the bait from, from CJ Gardner-Johnson because he's, a quote, a huge instigator. Uh, they, they showed clips this week, and it didn't matter. Gardner-Johnson is an elite instigator. I just spilled seltzer on myself on this live show. Just want to just want to clear everybody else on clear everyone up on what happened. My, there. My, but flex yeah, is, so Ill- my, my flex is uh, successfully taking a, a sip of water without spilling it on myself. Just All right, I'm you. sticking with my flex. Um, I think this is incredible. And I hope that now I don't want anybody to actually get punched or hurt or anything bad to happen. But I hope he keeps this going forever. And we've already dissected the distinct Florida energy of this behavior. But absolutely, this was my favorite part of this game was just that it happened again. And this is so um, Michael Thomas also punched him in practice. And I know, again, we already did this in week eight or whenever that was. But the fact that three people have wanted to punch CJ Gardner Johnson at various points this season, like I would like to know if that's a record. I just I would like to know a lot more about that whole situation. Uh, I think that instigator in football is harder to do Uh, again, probably in hockey, some of these other sports, because I I think that like we said with Nagy, the teams are coached not to take the bait and that a mistake in instigation is like it's 15 yards in a, you know, one of 17 games. And, And I think that it's just more, uh, teams are more cognizant of not taking the bait. And so the fact that he's an effective one is unbelievable to me. I, I really enjoy this. He probably has a future on some sort of business speech-making circuit. Well, that... Oh, what company would pay for him to come in and instigate things? I think a lot of deal-making. I can see. I can see law firms bringing him in like how do you just get someone super riled up that was always frankly uh, i would if he had a um what's that what's that app or that service where you can take classes i think you have it master class yeah if he had a master class on just how to like get under people's skin i would totally take that i do have a master class did i tell you that i said yeah i think we've talked about it before i we might have talked about it offline but we've talked about Uh, it i truly enjoy it i feel like a more well-rounded person uh, early. Conor All right. McGregor. If CJ Gardner Johnson had a had a 
class on it, would you do it? Uh, no. I don't need to instigate anything. Early Conor McGregor's whole shtick was getting people so mad that they were just on tilt when they started fighting, and then he would just take advantage of that. Which I think it's. I think there's probably something to that. Just, uh, just getting people in an emotional state and then take advantage of it. Like it just as far as they start making mistakes, they get sloppy. They, they, they get too aggressive, and then you can just do your basic technique, all that stuff. It's the Bill Walsh thing, right? And the score takes care of itself. The whole thing is that there's no such thing as rising to the moment. There's such thing as playing, keeping your head, and being normal while everybody else just kind of freaks out in the moment. Kind of like a, the Rudyard Kipling poem, if you're familiar with it. Just don't lose your head. Um, that's, that's the Saints lesson here. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the, the Bears here for a second. Uh, there was a report on Sunday morning that from Ian Rapport, I believe, that Trubisky needed a long playoff run to save his, his Bears career, um, what was left of it. Uh, we've gone back and forth on this Trubisky thing. There were some weeks where it looked like he was going to get an extension, some weeks where it wasn't. You saw the Bears today. What do we do? It's a no. He's not with the Bears next year. That, that feel, if everybody needs a fresh start, he will go out the MVP. Yeah. And I think it's time to leave it at that. Um, I agree with you. I don't know what the Bears do. Do they try to bring, do they have like a Foles and somebody else competition? Do they, they try to draft somebody with, with a mid first round pick? I just don't. I, I don't understand the, the Trubisky thing presented itself, Nora, because it the it seemed like a, a good scenario for them to say, oh, Trubisky's good enough. Well, we're going to give him eight million dollars. He's going to compete for the job next year. That doesn't seem like it's a possibility. So I just don't know what their plan is right now. It's tough. They're 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 stuck in the they are the seventh seed in like the most they are the most seventh seed of all time. And I don't think they the have way, much of it. I'm out. On, I'm out on the seventh seed. Just after watching this weekend, it was fun to have three games a day, but I'm out on the seventh seed. Were they, did, what about the Colts yesterday? Were you offended by that? <laughs> so I'm, a, I'm split on that because I felt like the Colts, I just thought the Rivers thing, looking back on it, it's not that he lit the world on fire this season or anything, but when they signed him, I just looked at that and went, this is a this is an older quarterback coming off the worst year of his career. That doesn't go in a good direction a lot of the time. So I think the fact that that worked out for them, their draft worked out, the number of just sort of seismic events with, with luck and with the Josh McDaniels thing that they've gone through in the last couple of years, I found myself towards the end of the season looking at them as they were trying to squeak into the playoffs and going, it is actually kind of unbelievable how many big decisions this organization has gotten yes. right. And the fact that they could have ended up being the, the third 11 and five team in history to miss the playoffs in this year where there's an extra seed that bugged me. Cause I felt like they deserved it, even though deserve is such a funny word to use in this context. So I liked it in that sense. But then when you really look at them, were the Colts a great team? They were pretty good. But I don't think that the quality of product that we had in the wild card round would have been diminished really without them, even though I'd rather have the 
Colts than not, I guess. And certainly you can't have it both ways. But the Bears had no business being in the playoffs. It's not a playoff team. So I'm I'm officially out on the seventh seed. We got the Nickelodeon game. That's true. I did like the Nickelodeon game. That was really fun. All right. Last thing is going to be our reader question. Uh, Kevin by the doesn't way, want to admit that he didn't watch the Nickelodeon game because he's a very serious football analyst. I just, I'm not going to flip back and forth between those things. I was already doing that for the ESPN game because I was watching every single one because there was one with like Laura Rutledge and Mina. And then there was the film room one with, with Rex Ryan and Teddy Bruschi and Keyshawn Johnson and, and Booker McFarlane and those guys. And then there was the Steve Levy one. And so I was already doing that. I had channel fatigue. And so for the second game, I was like, I'm locked in. I'm just going, I'm going CBS the whole way. I, I can't do the Nickelodeon thing. It's fine. You're not a goofy goober. I am. I am a goofy goober. I am. I am. And that's, there's a track record on that. Okay. All right. Um, the only thing I cared about on this no, podcast was making Kevin say I'm a goofy goober. Uh, before we get to the reader question, because we're moving off from that point extremely quickly. Um, before we get to the reader question, I want to remind everybody that Ryan Russell and I did a podcast on Saturday night. Uh, if you need a recap of those games, it's on a, it's the video is going to be on Twitter and on the social media feeds because it was posted live. And it's also going to be in the podcast feed as well. So check out Ryan and I from Saturday. All right. Here's the question. It is so important. So we got, we got this actually from four or five people and I don't mean to single anybody out, but I think that we have the, um, we have the question up here. It's from uh, a racquetball. What is the best non-sports channel for the NFL to broadcast on next? Theme graphics and audience-specific commentary included. Nora. So I think the traditional or the real answer that follows the rules of the question is HGTV. But I will mm. throw out there that what I would love to see is, uh, you know how... Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper did that live show that they took on tour. I would like Uh, to let those guys give it a whirl. I did not know they had a live show that they took on tour. I know that they've done shows together on TV. I didn't know that they they took it places. I think they took it on the road. Wow. Um, Okay, that's interesting. So two-man booth, Cohen and Cooper. That's interesting. I think it would be electric. It would be electric. But HGTV could do a lot of good sort of branded content with renovating. I think uh, I just can visualize a lot of like the different components of a team are, are pieces of this house. I think it would be fruitful territory. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to zag here a little bit. BBC America. (laughs) And you just have a bunch of British people. As many British people as you can possibly get. Um, if you want sports people, we can have like Gary Lineker, <laughs> who does a lot of that stuff uh, with soccer. Uh, most of the cast of Doctor Who could come. Um, any of the doctors. I've been binge watching Doctor Who the last couple of weeks. Would, would love would love a couple of the doctors, whether it's Jodie Whittaker or anybody else in the past. Uh, we get them in the booth. I just think that the BBC, had, you know, you, you could extend it. Maybe some Peaky Blinders cast members are in there. You just just jam them all in one booth. None of them are going to know what to say. So they can all, I mean, listen, we have three and a half hours to kill. No, there's not going to be a lot of actual commentary. So you can just jam as many people in there. They'll all get, you know, five minutes to talk. I love this. This is a solid idea. All right. Anything else? I think that's it. This is fun. I also, I really, my main concern 
and I can't stress enough to people how often this happens when we're doing the show normally. My main concern with the live thing is just that I do usually like laugh so hard that I cry during tapings. And I will say that um, the goofy goober moment that you tried to move so quickly past, I was very close to shedding a tear, but I think we've gotten through it pretty nicely. We did it. So this has been great. Thank you for watching, listening, whatever you're doing, listener or viewer. This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Next up on the feed, Chris Vernon and Warren Sharp on Tuesday, breaking down all the action. 